Smuggling Hope, Episode 22, Protecting Innocent Eyes. Our family was uh, puritanical in a very real sense. Never hugged. Oh no, there was absolutely no hugging or kissing in my family. There was a point in time when my mother, later in life, apologized to me for not being able to show affection. That was, of course, the way I'd been raised. I said to her, Mom, because of the things you weren't able to do, it set me on a course that changed my life and the world. So when I talk about hurt and hypocrisy in some of our values, our sexual values, it comes from the fact that I didn't get hugged a lot as a kid. Hugh Hefner, 2006 interview. So the average age um, varies at which children are exposed to pornography, right? Um, I think a common sense survey back in the day found that most young men and uh, women too, or young girls, uh, kids are exposed to pornography by the time they're about 12. Um, and then about 15% are probably anywhere between eight to 10 years old. Um, that's alarming for many people because they don't believe that that would be happening. But with the uh, expansion of cell phone use and you know just the fact that we cannot necessarily uh, control or monitor everything, and, and some parents don't don't realize uh, what their kids are exposed to through cell phone technology, um, that that age I think continues to decrease. Um, you know, in terms of like a now there are prevention manuals for people. Um, you know, for their kids from three to six years old, which is a new advancement uh, that I've seen in the last couple of years. So you know, with this whole conversation, why is this such a big deal? Well, because people are made for connection and to be loved and to have intimacy and to be in a family. And when people, you know, get confused by the images that they see, uh, you know, through pornography or through a lot of the films that are, are uh, our culture presents children and young people with it, they very much don't understand how to relate. They don't, there's not a lot of safe places even for young men and women, you know, you know, grammar school, middle school, high school age kids to be able to experience one another uh, just socially without an incredible uh, tenor of sexuality, right? If you look at the homecoming dresses of the girls uh, in the last couple of weeks, if you have a young woman, um, you know, these, these dresses are bathing suits, essentially, which, um, you know, maybe people don't recognize that, but they would have been bathing suits back in 1930, 1940. Um, but these are the homecoming dresses that young women are wearing. So, and again, they, they don't necessarily maybe even understand like that there's been a cultural shift for the last, you know, 60 plus years, 70 plus years into this. And so we want to make sure that, you know, if we have young kids and we have kids in general, that we have and can start a dialogue about pornography um, so that we can kind of uh, make sure that that doesn't ruin their understanding of their body being good, beautiful, and that it's built for connection in a loving relationship in marriage. Sex is reserved for marriage um, and for that reason. And sometimes people uh, don't want to have these conversations, don't know how to have these conversations. So um, but I want to make sure that this is, is brought up because this is a, a, a huge, huge issue. So the first, the first component of all of this is that, number one, you need to be able to prepare for the reality that your kids are going to be exposed to this stuff at some point. Um, and and it, it could be at a friend's house. It could be from an older sibling. It could be on the school bus. It could be in the classroom from some other student. It, it could be, uh, you know, in any capacity. 
Um, and if they have a cell phone, we accelerate uh, the ability for them to receive and be exposed to this culture, right? So if your kid has a cell phone right now, the way that I always assess this is that, you know, hopefully they're of the same age or the age where you would let them roam free in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, so if, you're, if your child has a cell phone with normal, normal capabilities, I, I would say, um, hopefully they're of the same age and, and you feel comfortable with them walking alone in Las Vegas, Nevada, because that's the, the reality, right? Predators are everywhere. Uh, lots of crazy stuff is happening and uh, there is very little, um, you know, uh, protection. So, and again, I'm not against technology. I'm not against uh, the fact that kids are going to have to use technology, including cell phones, but there are different ways that we can uh, help our children to, um, you know, engage, you know, with the use of technology and, and learn how to use it in an appropriate fashion. But the first component of all of this has to do with uh, are are they, are you prepared? Are you prepared for this reality? Are your kids prepared? Um, and have you given them the best um, you know opportunity? So one of the the key things is just to accept the reality that this is going on. It's going on in the schools, um, and most people, sadly, many people don't don't really uh, adults don't really care. Um, I mean, a couple of years ago, um, you know, I was at a baseball park and like a. A uh, woman was very upset. Um, I guess one of the, the children uh, at the baseball park, whether it was at school or at practice, you know, one of the children showed another child. And again, these children are probably at the time maybe nine years old, eight years old, a pornographic image on a cell phone. And the mother was upset by this, um, approached the mother of the other child who was standing uh, at the ballpark with, um, you know, that child's father. So, so this mother was upset. She went over to this other family and she said, just so you know, I want you to be aware, like your son showed my son a pornographic image on his phone. And the, the, the father just said, well, I see nothing wrong with that. And so whether these things are being learned at home, whether these things are being encouraged at home, um, you can't control what other people's parents, uh, other people, other kids' parents are doing. You need to not be um, burying your head in the sand and pretending like this isn't happening. And uh, a lot of people just don't understand why this is an issue. You know, moral stuff aside, I want you to understand that the brain, the brain operates with like what we call a dopaminergic, um, you know, uh, like a system, right? So if, if children that are very young are unprepared and they see these things or these things they're exposed to, um, and, and the younger the age, uh, even the more detrimental, um, because they don't understand, they don't have the language. Um, but what it does is it releases this dopamine in their body. And dopamine is essentially, it is, it is the chemical agent that allows us to have energy. It, it literally, the body produces energy when it has no energy to do things, right? So for instance, uh, you know, um, if I'm uh, like a caveman and I'm hungry because I haven't eaten in a couple days, my body would produce dopamine and norepinephrine, right? So that my body system has the energy, even though it's physically tired, it produces the energy for me to go out and, and start a hunt or go out and look for berries or whatever it is. So it's an, it's a natural thing. It's a good thing. It's an instinctual thing. And so like, you know, but when we expose children to these images that surge their bodies with dopamine, dopamine goes up very high 
And when the dopamine goes down, like it crashes, it actually crashes at a lower level, right? So you actually go below your normal stable level. That's why this stuff can become addicting real quick to people. Um, and young kids, you know, don't have the, the, the language or the ability to manage that. Um, but the other thing is, is that if people are having this uh, dopamine, dopamine surge and having this, uh, you know, learning, their brains are learning to be aroused at looking at other people having uh, sexual relationships on these images, then, then that can really cause like larger and larger levels of dysfunction um, into adulthood with, with healthy or normal uh, sexual relationships that they, they should have, right, in marriage. So we really want to give people, um, especially our children, like uh, if we want them to have a healthy relationship um, and we want them to be able to, um, you, know, you know, really like have, a, you, know, you know, healthy, uh, you know, fluctuations of hormones too. We really, these are things we do not want kids being exposed to. Um, we don't want adults being exposed to it. Because it, it's destructive to the brain. It literally put, puts holes in the brain of people because, you know, their loss of attention. So one way to, like, simply kind of prepare is to come up with language to prepare and anticipate that the child may get exposed to these things. And when they're exposed to pornography or whatnot, that they have the language to say that this has happened to you, right? So in my family, like, one of the things we've done with our children is be the code word, so to speak, that somebody has shown you something on their phone or somebody has shown you something on their computer or whatnot, is to say to a parent, like, I've stubbed my toe. And that's an indication that, you know, that you're, you, you've been exposed to this kinds of stuff, um, really so that you can have a conversation, right, like about this. Um, you know, but, it, but if there's no language and the child doesn't even know that these things are happening, right? That pornographic images are out there, whether it's on television, right? Because most of television, especially everything above TV 14 starts to, or has the capacity. There are a lot of things that have the capacity to start to, you know, create arousal, right? There's a lot of hypersexual images in, in, in movies and in TV shows, even some that are geared towards children. Um, and, but kids need to be able to call it out and say that, well, that's pornography. Um, you know, they need to be able to see it. Like they need to know what it's called. Otherwise, like, you know, it, it, it's more damaging and they don't know how to engage a coping skill or to uh, look away, simply look, just look away and to, to, to say that to somebody. Because again, you know, it, it activates this neurological system that children are not necessarily supposed to be engaging until they're much older in a committed relationship. If you're nine years old and you're seeing these things or you're 12 years old or whatever age and, and seeing these things at a friend's house or at a ballpark or whatever, well, that's, 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 you, you want to be mentally prepared and you have to have the language to be able to talk about it. Okay. Um, so prepare your kids, make sure that there is an actual word that you use to describe it. Make sure that they understand and know how to recognize pornography, what it is, um, you know, also why it is wrong. Um, in the sense that why it can be damaging and and how it can be addicting. And uh, there's a great book um, designed for kids that we've used, and I think there's one for even younger kids now, um, but it's called Good Pictures Versus Bad Pictures. And so I put that in the, um, you know, the, the scripture of this episode. So um, the, the resources there, um, you can click on those things and you can get them off Amazon. They're really helpful for um, forming your kids, especially if, again, your kids are eight or nine years old and they're going to be, um, you know, you, you're, you're, they're off at school or they're on the school bus. 
um, or, or whatnot, you, you have to realize that you, know, you want to kind of prepare them for this. Um, you don't necessarily want to just, uh, you know, again, be laissez-faire and believing that everything is awesome and nobody of my kids would never do this or my, my kids' friends would never show them this. That, that's a terrible attitude, right? Um, it, it's far better for you to have a plan than to later admit you were afraid. Um, and if you don't have a plan, it is important that you acknowledge that you probably are afraid of this reality. Um, but we can't be. We have to kind of engage it. We have to form our children. We cannot just run from everything. Um, and we have to have, uh, you know, skills in place, um, language in place, um, and an, a dialogue with our kids that, you know, so that they don't, um, they don't have to navigate this alone or go through this um, feeling like they're terrible people. Um, because it's, it's, it's a very difficult time, um, you know, to be a kid today. Now, the other dimension of like preparing your kids and uh, forming them appropriately is really to educate them on theology of the body, right? And so a lot of parents don't know how to do that. They don't even know what theology of the body is. So I'll give you like a brief rundown. Theology of the body was a counterpoint, right? It was this you know, this, you know, awareness like of, of the, of the view as the, of, of the body and sexuality as good and beautiful. And, uh, St. John Paul II gave a series of talks from 1979 to 1984. Um, and it's recorded in a book called Theology of the Body. People have studied it. Um, there is a resource that I've used with my kids in the, in the bio or the, 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 you know, the, the description of the day called, uh, The Body Reveals God. By Katrina Zeno, and that's actually very helpful. Um, honestly, it's a, it's a it's a it's a great way to introduce your kids to theology of the body, and that's something that you probably want to do, especially if you're concerned about all of the levels of sexual dysfunction and confusion that your children will be exposed to. They need to understand like what the body is for. They need to understand that what sex is for. Um, and that they can be fulfilled in this life, but they don't need to be overexposed to these concepts. Um, you know, uh, Catholicism is a, a highly sensual and, uh, you know, a highly sexual um, uh, religion. It is not anti-sex, right? Like I, I started the, I started the presentation with, you know, that, that, that whole quip about Hugh Hefner and his life, but it, it's, it's an interesting thing that, you know, Hugh Hefner obviously recognized that sex was a good thing, but he didn't really know what to do he, do with it. He turned it into uh, the objectification of people. Um, but at the time, right, at the time, the 19, 19, you know, 40s, 1930s, there was this Victorian and very, uh, you know, puritanical version of, of, of sexuality. And so John Paul II, too, uh, helped us to, you know, he saw that sex was good, but he elevated it. He elevated, elevated it and brought it back to a place where where it was designed to be um, at the center point of society and the co-creative ability of married couples and really illustrates like powerfully how the body does reveal God and how the family and especially the sexual relationship between husband and wife is dynamic and shaping our world. And so I would encourage you to um, have a knowledge base. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to the Theology of the Body Institute or the St. John Paul II Institute um, to understand these things. But if you want to form your children before the world gets their hands on them, 
these are helpful things to be aware of so you feel confident. It's really about being confident as a parent because a lot of us do not feel confident as a parent, especially when it comes to the, these areas of sexuality. We would rather say nothing because um, we don't want to scare kids or we don't want to say too much or we don't want to provoke uh, curiosity. But the truth is, is the kids need to be learned and they're soaking in a lot of things. But what they're learning from the culture is stuff that we don't want them to know. We, we don't want them to take in the stuff from the culture because the culture just wants to turn them into objects that buy things. And in many ways, also with the rate of abuse of children going up and up and up in our culture and in our world, it's very clear that, like again, the, the, this bizarre agenda in many ways is to, again, not just objectify women or the human body, but now to objectify children. Um, and that's that's devastating. So we need to make sure we are forming children and we're presenting them with a healthy attitude towards sexuality and an understanding of it. Because to, to, to have a fulfilling relationship with another person is very challenging. And that's why so many people fall into all these forms of sexual dysfunction and disorder. Because it's a lot easier to kind of go and, and, and it's a, but it's a second rate solution, right? These things are second rate solutions that are not fulfilling for human beings. You know, and, and Hugh Hefner himself, after all of his, you know, sexual antics, never had a fulfilling relationship. He said that himself and that, that, that we've created a whole society of people, very broken. They all want to be loved, but they all feel like that's not possible. And they've tried to adapt in multiple ways with cohabitations and all types of relationships and you name it, but they're not fulfilled, but they know they're supposed to be loved. And so a great way to get ahead of all that hurt is really to learn about theology of the body. And the, uh, again, and, and to be able to start just instructing your children on it. Sadly, you're not going to get that. If your kids go to Catholic school, that is definitely probably not going to be something they're exposed to um, because virtually nobody in a Catholic school uh, unless you have a, a really like a uh, large blessing of somebody wanting to teach this um, to your kids, there is a, not much interest in teaching this to young people, um, which is incredibly sad. Um, but I don't see this in the Catholic schools, uh, Catholic high schools, forget it. Um, this is something you have to teach at home. Um, and again, don't look to your catechesis uh, on Sunday school um, or your religion teachers to do this with your kids. It's not going to happen. Because again, it provokes a lot of fear. These are not, especially at this point where a lot of teachers are afraid of their students, they're not going to want to talk about sexual things with your kids. It's very weird, right? To, you know, they, they can talk about whatever thing that they want to talk about, but just not this and just not in this way. Because, you know, and, and it's super odd, right? Because it's pushing an agenda. And yet to talk about inclusion and all types of you know, gender stuff and all types of sexual stuff outside of the Catholic faith, that's more than encouraged, you know, even in Catholic schools, I feel. Um, but, but again, to, to talk about like what, what, you know, the theology of the body, bring that into your school. Oh, God forbid, that's going to upset people. That's going to upset parents. Because again, that parent at the baseball park is the common parent who's like, well, that's fine with me. That's a normal, healthy expression of whatever. And that is really like what people communicate publicly that these are the healthy expressions of sexuality and they're not and they're, they're 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 dysfunctional and they produce large levels of dysfunction we know this even from neuroscience right like i said it's neurologically a lie um but people keep propelling this and communicating this and because we we we, we see 
pleasure is a higher value than actual fulfillment of people. Um, and, and it's devastating and we don't want this. We don't want, this is, this, this, this is not, not fair to our, our kids. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises on how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for, all from the comfort of your home. Now, the other dimension of this is, can we prevent it? And, and so the, the truth is we can do a lot of things to prevent it. We can put you know, limitations on devices, but kids may figure out ways to troubleshoot that if they'd like. Um, we can prevent it in many ways by um, you know, reducing the... Uh, the access to the internet or things with, uh, you know, our cell phone use. Um, there are different types of phones that reduce the ability for you to give and receive messages and images. But again, kids can find some way to maybe get around that as well. Um, I, I encourage people um, not to really be giving your kids cell phones um, without some kind of limitation because their brains can't handle the amount of dopamine. And it actually, what we are going to continue to uh, see in the next couple years is that that is affecting, uh, we know it's affecting children's development. You know, we know it's affecting their development. Um, the dopamine, you know, uh, it, it seems to, you know, greatly um, uh, mutate the mind, right? The, you know, young people cannot, uh, you know, attend to uh, situations uh, and communication the way that they could prior to the uh, development and advancement of cell phones. So my brain and your brain, if you're an adult, is probably formed way differently than the child who got a cell phone at 12 or 14 or whatever it is. And I know people will say to me, well, everybody has a cell phone. All the kids have a cell phone. Okay. Well, um, the thing is, is that uh, who is forming your kids, the society or you? And again, if you have a rule or you have, you know, you, you have to prepare your kids for reality, they will have a cell phone, but there are things such as a gab phone or various other phones and technology that allow your kids to call each other or text each other without being able to send uh, different videos and pictures and Snapchat and these applications. Because remember, the world wants to consume your children. The world wants to access your children. Do you want your 15-year-old, 12-year-old daughter, whoever... You know, do you want her to have access to predators or uh, you know, other teenage boys that want to take pictures of themselves naked? Or do you want your kid to take pictures of themselves naked? I mean, you know, cell phone usage, you know, I mean, we, we were talking about pornography, but a lot of kids are making their own pornography now and just putting it and sending it through their cell phone. And, you know, these things are then not erased. They're in, in the Internet or they're on people's phones and then they're, 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 they're out there. And, and now people have pictures of your 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 12-year-old, uh, whatever it is. That's a huge problem. You know, that's why, you know, child pornography keeps going up because these kids are taking pictures of themselves and taking videos of themselves. And, um, again, you know, 
you know, the, 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 these, these phones, especially because these kids can't regulate it. They don't know how to. Again, if you want to protect your kids, make sure you, you know your kids, number one. If you're going to give them technology, make sure that there's, there's an open dialogue. Make sure that there are limitations. Yes, I know your kids are good kids, but they are kids and they need to be protected, and they need to be formed. And like I, I think I've said before, we, we don't want a bubble to protect our kids. We need some kind of greenhouse. We need, we need them to be able to have firm roots and to be able to be fed and watered and have enough sunlight but not be exposed fully to these elements until they have solid roots so they don't get blown over by the environment. You know, the, the culture wants to consume your kids. You know, and like I said, this is this is the nature of the world. So to just say no, that's not it. Well, that, I'm sorry, that's just not that's not accurate. Um, and so I, I hate to pop your bubble, but this is the way of the world. Um, um, if your kids are over the age of 12 right now, they probably have been exposed to pornography. And so to you know to prevent that, you know, at this point is really to uh, make sure that you now have an environment where you're having a dialogue. To believe that that your kids are. Um, you know, again, um, not, um, not, not listening to you or they don't care or the damage is already done. That's also kind of fatalistic. You want to make sure you're having that dialogue. I don't care if you have teenage kids, but you want to spend time with them. You want to make sure they've been educated on theology of the body, that, that you have some resource like that, or that you're going to start spending time talking about these issues or these experiences. It's important because, you know, the investment in your kids is going to pay out over the long haul even though it might be difficult in the, in the short run. So one of the big things like with having to like cope ahead with a lot of this is that we have to kind of um, give kids like the ability to have a plan in place to know how they're going to address situations as they occur. Right. And so if something is to come up, I mean, in the, uh, you know, um, in the, the book, good pictures, bad pictures, there is a breakdown of a plan. Um, and again, I encourage you to buy the book if you have young kids or you, you really want to work on this stuff. And it's what they call a can-do plan. And the C stands for close your eyes, turn away, and hit the power button to shut down the computer or whatever the device is. A, alert a trusted adult, right? Remember, we don't want to have secrets in the family. We don't want, because that a lot sometimes like, you know, secrets will make people sick. Also, there can be grooming behaviors, right? The, 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 you know, so we alert a trusted adult, the N, we name the pornography when we see it, if it's on TV or a phone or whatever it is. D, we distract your thought, you know, you know, distract thoughts away from the bad images. We have to teach the children to, to do that. And then, oh, order my thinking brain to be in charge. And that's a huge thing is for the child to understand that they have a thinking brain. Um, they have the part of their brain that experiences these, these, these things intensely. Um, but they have to be able to identify the fact that they have a thinking brain um, that knows how to act appropriately. And we want the, the child to feel empowered. We don't want the child to feel afraid. Um, we want them to have a caution and an understanding, but but they're going to be empowered. And, the, and the, again, the more easily they can you know turn away from these things, the more easily they can operate with that plan, the more that they can recover from this stuff. Um, but again, if the child isn't talking about it, right, they see these things, they don't talk about it. Well, now it's going to cause a lot more cr stuff. It's going to cause a lot more problems because then there'll be shame. Then there can be uh, like it, it can become more addictive for the person. Um, and, you know, if they don't know that they have a thinking brain, a part of their brain that, you know, wants fulfillment or, you know, you know, uh, wants to make good decisions. If they don't know how to use that part of their mind, 
that's also an issue, right? So, you know, in many ways that that's, you know, you know, important, um, you know, kids, you know, they want to learn, they want to like, you know, learn about like the different types of, of, of science and the ways that the, the brain work. And, you know, you know, if, if they're going to grow up in this world, the more that they understand, um, about their brain, the better, because it's going to help them to understand why this is bad and why this is dangerous. Um, cause again, our kids are smart just to say, don't look at this. Don't just to say, don't do this. That's not always sufficient, right? Some people are okay with that, but they need to know why this is problematic. Right. And so letting them have an understanding that they have, you know, uh, two types of brains really, right. They have, you know, uh, they have a thinking brain, obviously like that, you know, that obviously like has, uh, you know, you know, moves their body and makes decisions and does math problems and wants to like be a, you know, a, a good baseball player or wants to, you know, get their next, you know, their next belt level at, at Taekwondo. That, that's wonderful. But then they also have a feeling brain and the feeling brain is, is, you know, intense and animalistic and instinctual and they don't have control over it a lot, right? Like they, they get sweaty when they're hot. They get agitated when they're hungry, <clears throat> and th- that's that's important. It, you know, the, the feeling brain doesn't, you know, know right from wrong. And kids, a lot of times, they need to have the language, again, about these types of brains um, so that they can navigate these complex issues. Um, and, again, trust that your kids are smart enough to understand this stuff. Um, but just moralizing it all and saying, well, this is a sin or this is bad, it's not always sufficient. To, to to understand what a sin is, it's also important to understand like how it impairs your goal and how it hurts you physically, right? This isn't a, this isn't just like my opinion. This is this is you know like I, I've tried to even show tonight today like this is this is science as well, and it will impact your kids. But to take something that is neuroscience and make it simple, and make it not just about morality. Um, you know, to, to form the morality of young people in truth and in love and in science, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have these resources. So I encourage you to pick up uh, both of those books. Teach your kids about theology of the body. I don't care what age they are. Uh, start doing that. They need to understand that their bodies are good, that they're made by God. They're made to be loved. Um, and so they can take care of their bodies, you know, from everything from washing them and brushing their teeth and getting enough rest. And then as they get older to really understand the impulses of their, uh, again, the feeling brain and uh, these, these body systems that, that, that sex is good, but sex is for uh, a committed marriage um, that lasts forever, um, you know, for the, the psychological safety of the individual and the fulfillment of desire um, and, and for the instinctually for the procreation of the species. But we want to elevate sexuality. We, we don't want to mute it. We don't want to make it puritanical. We don't want Hugh Hefner to end up, uh, you know, teaching our kids about sex, even though he's dead now. It seems like he's everywhere. So go out and smuggle some hope wherever you can. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. 
I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life.